0: Wonderful. Right. Well, like many children growing up, and I'm sure there's going to be a few people who can relate to this, I very much enjoyed uh, and was captivated by the whole sort of mythical medieval type world, you know, like King Arthur and Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. And I particularly like the idea of being a knight dressed in all of that, you know, armour living a life of chivalry and honour, which is something, well, it's, it's, well, who knows where chivalry and honour is these days, but a life of chivalry and honour and winning the fair maiden's hand in combat. I didn't have to win combat with Kelly, uh, but I got the fair maiden's hand. Amen. Amen. And then helping, you know, helping King Arthur and Queen Guinevere to look after and protect and care for all the people that live in the kingdom. There's a picture I'm going to show you and I'll explain why I did this. But this gives you a bit of an idea of what maybe was in my head. (laughs) There you go. Isn't that wonderful? King and Queen Gibson there. And there's... there's, uh, Sir, Sir Craig of Gravesendian on the, uh, the bottom corner there. Um, the reason I did this was because, in my mind, and this is nothing to do with Esther because we'd agreed this months ago, I thought this was a family service. So I had more of these. All right? <laughs> so this isn't just randomly put in there. All right? I just thought it was too good not to show. So, uh, so there you go. There's, my, there's my, my creative flair. Who knows what that is in the background? Ooh, who said that? From <laughs> Lord of the Rings, if you uh, if you don't know, well done for your your uh, for, for spotting that. Who? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, are they? <laughs> well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? My Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. <laughs> Now, though, though King Arthur and Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table are things... Oh, no, no. no, no, no I'm I'll leave it out there just for the minute. All right. Though these, you know, that is that is myth and, and, and legend, the kingdom which is at the centre of our passage today is very much real and has very much already come in part. And that kingdom that we're talking about is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. As you turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke 17, verse 20 to 21, I'll just leave that on there just a few more minutes, just so my wife. Now I'm getting the glare, I'll take it off. <laughs> okay, Luke 17. Now this, we, uh, uh, this is part of a bigger uh, teaching from Jesus, but we're only going to look at the first two verses of it this week and then we'll pick this, the rest of it up the following uh, next week. So Luke 17, verses 20 to 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, Jesus, answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the truth of your word. Though it can be challenging to us, though we may not always agree with what we read because of our fallen sinful hearts, We know that what is in your word is life. And I pray today as we gather as your people that you speak to us wherever we may be in whatever way you need to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's amazing, isn't it, how blind in life we we can be picture the scene, your husband or your wife or even your child shouts down from upstairs and says, have you seen my woolly hat? Or whatever it is. In this instance, I'm calling it a woolly hat because it was chilly when I was thinking about it, okay? Have you seen my woolly hat? You reply, it's in your wardrobe. They reply, no, I've looked there. Who knows where I'm going? <laughs> now, knowing that you're the one that put it there, when you last did that, you know, when you tidied up, you walk up the stairs, you open the wardrobe, and you pick out the willy hat. It was there all along, right under their nose, right in front of them. And more often than not, what is their reply? Oh, I didn't see it. Or, or I looked there. Well, clearly not, because it was there. Right? And I'm guilty for this sometimes. Just putting it out there. There are many times in life when something that we are looking for is simply staring us in the face. Staring us in the face, but we just can't see it. Or we're choosing not to see it because our focus is fixed on something else. This is exactly what we observe in our passage today. When the Pharisees, who were standing right in front of Jesus, asked when the kingdom of God would come, they had eyes to see, but they couldn't see. They couldn't see it. You see, the Jewish nation had a very rough history, full of oppression and exile and captivity that seemed to go round and round and round in circles. And also, they did have victory, a victory over many. Enemies, but they clung to the hope that a promised Messiah would change all of that. They knew of the hundreds of prophecies foretold in the Old Testament which talked about a coming Messiah who they believed would be sent by God to deliver God's people once and for all. The Messiah from the line of David, who many believed would come as this this, this warrior king, just like David, the giant killer, who would come to crush Israel's then Roman oppressors, reestablish God's kingdom, and restore the golden age of Israel. Remember, God had instituted the uh, the celebration of the Passover as a way for the Jewish community to remember his deliverance from Egypt, remembering how God had opened the Red Sea for Israel to escape ahead of Pharaoh's chariots, and as they turned and watched their supernatural defeat of their captors, captives, uh, captors, and they lived in hope and anticipation of God doing this again once and for all. Now, we don't know why they asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. Maybe, maybe to catch him out, which is what they often used to try and do. But based based on the verses to come, which we'll be looking at next week, as I said, it was most likely because they didn't want to miss its coming. They didn't want to miss its coming because they were clearly looking for and waiting on some sort of sign that would precede the kingdom's arrival. Could it have been a star or a comet like at Jesus' birth, maybe? An earthquake, potentially? Or fire from heaven like, like, like is, is written in the Old Testament that came down and destroyed Sodom and, G- and, and Gomorrah? We don't know. But in some respects, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because Jesus replies to them and says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. The kingdom wouldn't come in a spectacular fashion as they may have hoped, not at this stage anyway. And the Messiah wouldn't be this magnificent leader who would lay claim to the ancient land and kick the Romans out. Rather, the kingdom would come silently. The kingdom would come in, in some respects, in, a, in an unseen manner compared to what they were hoping for. Like leaven working in a batch of dough as we read in one of Jesus' parables about the kingdom in Matthew thirteen thirty three, when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was leavened. But here's the thing the Pharisees were suffering from Willie hat syndrome okay Willie hat syndrome because all the time that they were looking out there yeah. all the time they were looking out there for the signs of God's coming kingdom they were blind to the truth that the beginning of the kingdom reign upon the earth had already begun yeah. right under the Pharisees' noses embodied in the person to whom they were asking when the kingdom would come. Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. This is why Jesus replied to them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. Why? For behold, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's in your midst. It's right in front of you. The king of the kingdom had arrived and was standing right in front of them, but they were blinded to see it. Maybe because he didn't physically appear as a king, you know, dressed in fine apparel. Shall I go back to the picture to remind you what it might look like? (laughs) Maybe, like, you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe because he didn't have a vast army with him or servants, but instead stood before them as a humble rabbi with rough hands from his years as a carpenter. It's moments like this where I do feel a little bit for the Pharisees. I mean, it's easy for us, isn't it, 2,000 years on, when we've got the whole Bible to, to, to think plonkers. He's right in front of them. But I often, I often do feel, like put yourself in the Pharisee's shoes. Would you think he was a king? Now the clues are all there. They could maybe have come to that conclusion. But in that moment, standing right before them, maybe that's just my sympathetic heart, I don't know. But they were blind and they could not see is this not like us sometimes? You know, maybe, maybe we've been asked, waiting on God. We pray to God, and we're waiting for an answer. But maybe God has already answered that prayer. Maybe it's already right in front of us, but we can't see it because we're waiting for the answer that we expect God to answer us. Could it be that you've spent your whole life searching and seeking to find meaning and purpose, acceptance and identity in all the wrong places in this fallen world? Trying to find it in a career maybe, in material objects maybe, in the friends around you, in serving in a charity, maybe even serving in a church. Because some people can serve in a church in the hope of finding all of these things. That's not why we serve. Or it shouldn't be why we serve. We do all these things when the answer to, to our searching is right in front of us, right in the person of Christ Jesus. The King of the Kingdom and Savior of the world, who died, (coughs) excuse me, to give us hope and freedom. But too often we're blind to that reality. Even Christians, we get ourselves snared in the weight of the world. In the weight of the world. When all He asks us to do and calls us to do is rest in Him lay it all at his feet. But we, for whatever reason, we think, no, I've just got to keep worrying about this. I've got to keep worrying about this. (coughs) Hmm. The peace that would rest on our souls if we stopped searching and just placed our lives, our meaning, our person, uh, sorry, our, our, our purpose, and our personhood, and our identity, and everything else that makes us who we are at the feet of Christ. What peace would fill our hearts and souls? It's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. Guide me. Show me. Direct me. Whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever it looks like, I'm here, I'm yours. I'm your servant. There's a real release in that. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be worries in the world, of course, but, but Scripture tells us that. But we're allowed. We we're, we place Christ first in all of those things. First, this brings us to this area. The kingdom already, not yet. The kingdom already, not yet. You see, the kingdom of God is the subject that Jesus speaks about more than anything else in his ministry. Anything else. More than sin, more than Satan, more than salvation. He talks about, preaches about, and teaches about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God was not and is not a land or territory just like the mythical Camelot. But rather, the kingdom of God is God's reign over all creation. Over all creation. It's not limited to boundaries or territories. Psalm 103.9 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Praise God it does. And it is to God the Son, King Jesus, that all kingdom authority and power currently rests and is exercised. Praise God. But unlike our King Charles and the Queen before him, I'm not just picking on King Charles here, but, you know, our monarchs, who are and is merely a figurehead with limited power, There is no created power. There is no created force. There is no created authority, whether in this physical world or in the spiritual world, that can overpower or overrule him. That in itself should bring us great comfort because he fights for us. But his kingdom rule will only be until the day when he gives back the kingdom to God the Father. Okay? There can sometimes be this misconception. Jesus will give the kingdom back to the Father. But only when all evil and sin is destroyed and the new heavens and the new earth are established. Paul tells us this in Corinthians. He says... For as in Adam, all die. Yeah, we are all born through the lineage of Adam. So we all inherit sin. So we will all by default die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. Those who come to faith in Christ, we will not be resurrected for eternal life and live and dwell with the Trinity in heaven. Amen. But each in his own order, he says, Christ, the first fruit, because Jesus was the first to raise from death. And then at his coming, i.e. Jesus' second coming, those who belong to Christ, that's us. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father, after, after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign until... He has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. You could say that uh, Paul. what Paul is saying here is in, in some respects an allusion to Psalm 110, One, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now though it is true that that the kingdom on earth was standing right in front of the Pharisees, there's a twist. There's a twist to this. It only arrived in part. It was not fully established at that time. You see, at that moment 2,000 years ago, as it is today, the kingdom of God has both a present element to it, A present now element, but also a future element to it. A present reality, which we live in and which we worship in and which we study God's word in. But then a future hope of the coming kingdom fully established and the return of Christ. It's a tension. Another way to think about it is saying that there is an already here and a still to come. Now, I'm not sure how, whether you're going to say, oh, you might see that, all right. This just helps to visualise it a bit better. The blue line that's going horizontal is this age we're living in. It's just our time frame. Year goes by, year goes by, year goes by, until the blue line shoots up. That's when Christ comes back, and that's the general resurrection of the dead. Okay? The other line, which is going horizontal, is the age to come. The age to come. But the line that goes down on the orange line was Jesus' first coming. And that little box in the middle, that's where we are currently living. Christ has already come and the kingdom has already in part been established here. But it won't come fully until Jesus' second coming when the age to come is fully established. Does that make sense? I hope that has a bit more of a visual, visual appeal to you. Though Jesus, though Jesus is king, God didn't send him 2,000 years ago to establish the kingdom on earth as the final conquering king and judge of the world. And friends, we should be very grateful for that. We should be very grateful for that because if if, if there was only one coming... If Jesus hadn't come all those years ago, but at some point he just comes back as the, you know, the, the the fully established King, bringing the kingdom with his judgment, we'd all be doomed. We'd all be doomed. We'd have no chance for redemption. But isn't it wonderful that because of God's great love for us, His creation, He chose not to do it that way. By He chose to establish the beginning of the kingdom on earth through a baby born by humble parents. A baby born by humble parents. As Philip Bethcorn from TGC, the Gospel Coalition says, he says, with the coming of Christ, the kingdom begins not in the coronation of a mighty king, but in the birth of a crying baby. I love that picture it gives us. It doesn't mean that Jesus is weak at all. Let's not be fooled by that. He's still almighty God, right? But the way that he came to the earth was not as judge and king. It was as the birth of a baby, still king and divine. But he came humbly, humbly. Now, yes, Jesus grew, Yes, Jesus exercised kingdom authority throughout his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit by raising people from dead, healing the sick and forgiving sins. Yes, at that point, he began to weaken Satan's hold on the earth, reclaiming the the ground that he'd been stolen and very much telling him the boss was back in town, praise God. But this was a period of grace. This was a period of mercy. This was a period of love, a period where God gave us an opportunity, us, a rebellion, rebellious, rebellion, can't even say the word, rebellious, selfish creation, the gift through his grace of redemption and salvation, which was consummated through Jesus' death upon that cross, and he's raising to new life. But friends, even after all of that, the kingdom was still only here in part. It was still only here in part. When Jesus then ascended to heaven, he was elevated from humble servants to take his rightful throne as king of all, where he still is today, and he still is reigning today. Oh, glory to him. But the kingdom presence didn't leave with Jesus. It didn't leave with him. Jesus raised up his first disciples who followed him and learned from him, whose task it was to continue the work Jesus started to proclaim the kingdom of God, to call people to repentance and to carry on sharing the remarkable good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was through these disciples that Jesus' his church upon the earth was established, of which we are now part here today, 2,000 years on. But even now, even today, the kingdom is still only here in part. Still only here in part. How does that work? Well... Just like Jesus' early disciples, every believer, true believer in Jesus is blessed to receive the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, dwelling in us personally. The Holy Spirit, who is God, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, is the link between the established spiritual kingdom in heaven where Jesus is reigning and Jesus, uh, and Jesus is physical church on the earth. So it is because of the divine person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in Jesus' believers, that's you and us, if we're a believer here today, that makes the already here part of the already here, not yet, the already here dimension of the kingdom of God on earth, a reality. A reality. But friends, it gets slightly better than that. Slightly better. Well, actually, a lot better. The Holy Spirit is not only our guide, is not only our teacher and our comforter and the one that gives us a slap on the wrist if we need it, because we often do, to whom we as believers live as wanderers on this earth, because this isn't our home. This isn't our home. He's also the seal that confirms we are members of God's heavenly kingdom upon earth. He's our seal. Don't take my word for it. Paul says, in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Praise God. The kingdom of God is the spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority and is subsequently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the entry into the kingdom is by recognising our lostness, our sinfulness and our need for saving, for repenting of that and surrendering to to our Saviour Jesus and walking by faith in him. Now, I don't know every one of you here today. I don't know where you may be in your own hearts. You may have been coming to church for 10 years. You may sit there and think, it's all a load of rubbish, I'm just being dragged here. This may be your first day walking in a church and thinking, I know there's something there, but I, I don't know what it is. It's Christ Jesus. He's the only truth, the only life, and the only way. Now, it may not seem like it when you're surrounded by all the allures of this world that we've got around us. But he supersedes all of that. He does. So I'd encourage you, consider giving your life to Christ. At the very least, go home and explore him. Research him. Find out what he's all about. What does he claim I've said this before, if you don't have a Bible, come and speak to me. I'll give you a Bible and I'll show you where to start reading. But don't walk out here today if that's you just going, that was a lovely time. It's not worth the consequence if Christ comes back in two hours. Go and invite the band up, please? Friends, God's kingdom, though not fully realised or established, is here today. It is here today. By the presence of the Holy Spirit, he is with his redeemed church. That's you and me. And he is present in Jesus' church here today. Because of that, we represent the kingdom. You hear me say this all the time. We are representatives of his kingdom in part on the earth and ambassadors for Christ as well. Jesus' mission to reconcile creation back to all the almighty creator is being accomplished. It is being accomplished and it will be completed irrespective of what we watch on the news. Irrespective of what's happening around us in this world, irrespective of what you might look at see in social media or what someone messages you, it doesn't matter. There's that saying, isn't it? You know, oh, the world's going to, to, to hell in a handbasket. Hand well, that's not true. It's not true. Read the Bible. Now, it doesn't say it's going to be an easy road. But God's God's plan will come to fruition. It will. It will be completed. But we must hold fast. Whatever's going on in life, whatever's going on with you personally, we must hold fast. We must be strong. We must take courage and focus On our role in God's kingdom in part on this earth as mouthpieces of King Jesus and his truth. Friends, that is our responsibility. If you are a Christian here today, I say this with the greatest of love, but I don't care what job you do. That's not your primary role in life. Your primary role in life isn't even to be a husband, wife, or a father or mother even though those things are important, if that is what what your world looks like, your primary role is to be a servant uh, of Christ Jesus. To represent the kingdom, be a mouthpiece for Jesus on this earth. That is our primary role. That is our primary responsibility. But we battle so much with that because of our sinful hearts and the world that keeps trying to claw us all the way back into what, they think we should be doing how they think we should be acting and that how they think we should be speaking, but it's not. We must stay fir- firm. It's that word steadfast. Any old boys' brigade people here? Yeah, steadfast. That was yes. a word. Stay sure and steadfast. We must stay steadfast and keep our eyes focused on Christ because the day is coming at an hour that we do not know when the king the kingdom of god will arrive completely and in full and on that day not one person on this planet will miss its coming we'll look at this next week but it will not you will not miss it so many people have been duped into thinking christ has come already but you will not miss that day I guarantee you, I guarantee you, all will see the returning king, Jesus, not as the humble uh, uh, divine rabbi. No, not meek and mild and, you know, caring and respectful and full of grace. The season of grace will be done by that point. It will be done But he will return as the warrior king, ready to claim completely and fully back his creation and his church. That's you and I. He's coming back to claim us. Eradicate evil for good and judge those in the world who chose to ignore him during this period of grace then at the consummation of the kingdom of God, fully established on the earth, our inheritance will come to pass, as we read in Ephesians. And we will not only dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we will not only enjoy fellowship with God the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, in just complete unity and peace, like we looked at the other week, but we will also dwell with all of our friends and family and, Those who have gone to the Lord before us. Isn't that wonderful? That's something to look forward to. That's something to look forward to. Well, more on that next week. Shall we worship? Amen. Thank you.